Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 182 of the Ski Podcast. This is a special episode focusing on the ski resorts of Perisher, uh, Australia's largest ski resort, and Threadbow, Australia's best ski resort for the last five years in the World Snow Awards. Now, unusually, I don't have any guests in the studio with me today. I think that's only happened once in the 182 episodes of the Ski Podcast, but don't worry, listener, it's not going to be just me talking for the next uh, 45 minutes. We're going to hear from Australian ski experts from both resorts, plus... After we finish Down Under, we're going to hear what it was like when the Tour de France passed through Les Trois-Vallées last month. We also have our regular feedback section. Plus, you can find out why I chose not to offset my flights to Australia, but to do something slightly different. So, why Perisher and Threadbow? Well, with apologies to the ski resorts of the state of Victoria, uh, the reason I was in Australia was to visit my mum, and she lives in New South Wales, so they were the ones I could get to fairly easily. It's about a five-hour drive from Sydney. So even though I only went for a few days, it was very achievable. Uh, most Australian skiers do drive, and even those coming from further afield tend to fly uh, maybe to Canberra and then drive the two and a half hours from there. So let's start with my first experience of skiing in Australia, which was in Perisher. I spoke to Perisher local Lucas Wilkinson to find out more about the resort. I'm sitting here in the lounge at the uh, Man Hotel and I'm delighted to be with Lucas Wilkinson, Perisher local. Uh, how are you, Lucas? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Well, I've just had a fantastic day on the mountain. I really enjoyed it. And it's so good to ski in a different area. And, you know, it feels Perisher it is Australia's biggest uh, ski resort. What, what kind of makes it special for you? I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I grew up in Perisher. I grew up in Jindabyne. My dad worked here for nearly 40 years. And um, I think probably what's special about it is uh, just skiing among the gum trees. I think that's something you don't get anywhere else in the world. You've got these broad-leafed evergreen trees and uh, it's just uh, unique. For, for sure. I mean, this afternoon, uh, the snow softened up a bit and I started to ski between the trees. And yeah, it's a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's almost like a, it's kind of like skiing between the aspens uh, or the birch trees in Japan, but you know, they've got leaves on them. So um, yeah, it's really cool. Cool. And Perisher itself then, I said it's the biggest uh, ski area in Australia, 65 kilometres apiece. But it used to be just Perisher Valley here and then three or four other mountains. But uh, in the mid-90s, they all connected. Yeah, so there was um, Perisher and Smiggins originally, um, which, uh, you know, two of the... Through the resorts on this side, and then in 1995, as you said, uh, Perisher bought Blue Cow and Guthiga, which were on the other side, and that made Perisher Blue. Uh, and then they rebranded later to Perisher, and so now there's four resort areas that are all interlinked uh, with skiing. And so yeah, it's the the biggest area in the southern hemisphere, I think. You definitely notice when you're out there. There's a lot of open space. Oh, for sure. You know, it was uh, it was great today, just connecting over to all the different uh, areas. And obviously it attracted the attention of Vale Resorts because they bought Perisher in 2015, right? 
Uh, yeah, so yeah, Vale um, Vale came along a few years ago and uh, and added Perisher to the portfolio, um, and then a few years later added um, two other Australian resorts, Falls Creek and uh, Mount Hotham, which is really cool because uh, now when you get an Epic Pass, you can ski all those three in Australia, and then when you go overseas, you can ski all the other resorts on the uh, the Vale Resorts roster, which is uh, there's a few of them. Yeah, that's really interesting about the uh, Epic Pass. I just actually want to chip in that prior to uh, Vale Resorts buying it, it was owned by the Packer family, right? Who, like most people, you know, might think of Kerry Packer and the, the cricket back in the day. But that's uh, those guys are publishing family, right? Yeah, so yeah, so PBL owned it before um, Vale. So Vale bought it from the Packers. And yeah, I think the Packers were a bit of a... Uh, bit of a myth and a legend around here when they did uh when they did own it they used to have a suite at the, the perisher valley hotel and you know every every old perisher staff member's got a story about kerry or, or the or james and the, or the family so yeah i think they were pretty prolific skiers but uh, i don't think they've been back since they sold it right okay and now it's on the epic pass uh I've noticed as I've been skiing around, you know, most people are Australians, but there's a, quite a few um, other languages, definitely heard Chinese being spoken. I've been listening out for American accents. I wondered if anyone might have been taking advantage of their uh, epic pass. Have you noticed an increase in international visitors? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, in my 34 years in, in the resort, uh, I've definitely noticed an increase in international visitors. And I think more so recently, whether or not that's... Um, you know, directly related to the Epic Pass or not, I'm not sure. Um, I can't really quantify that. But, uh, yeah, definitely noticed that. Haven't heard too many American accents, but, um, you know, there's definitely definitely a few different accents getting around. Well, certainly in your staff. I mean, one of the things that's really struck me in the in the last couple of days, I skied yesterday afternoon as well, is that the Perisher staff are unbelievably friendly they're all really check when you get to the top of the lift oh you know you guys going home you have a good day how's it going there's a lot of chat like this and i think i was trying to think about why maybe it's a bit different from europe because you don't necessarily speak the language in the first instance but there's a lot of nationalities going on uh, with the staff here right yeah i think so i mean i think that probably goes back to the fact that there's not many options in the southern hemisphere to go and do a snow season uh, and so, you know, a lot of internationals, um, instructors from Europe or from the US or wherever they're from will uh, will come over here and, and do the season because there are limited options. And Australia's, um, you know, it's pretty well set up, with, especially here in New South Wales. We've got the town in Jindabyne to service it. And, uh, and you know, the infrastructure is quite um, complete. So it's easy to come over here and, and there's definitely a lot of work. There's a lot of work for the ski instructors. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, touching on the, the friendly staff, I think... It might just be a bit of an Aussie thing. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, we people tend to kind of go out of their way to say hi and how you going and, um, you know, potentially the internationals pick up on that if they see some of the other Aussie staff doing that and, and they, you know, just kind of take their lead and, and do that. That's probably genuinely uh, correct because in my time the last, you know, week, 10 days or whatever I've been here in Australia, that definitely comes through, that uh, that friendliness. And, uh, yeah, I guess it is an Aussie thing. And, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a cliche that people say the Europeans, maybe the uh, French, aren't necessarily as good at service, uh, you know, uh, as that. So maybe that's why it stands uh, stands out. Um, I wonder if I can ask you a question about the, the sort of future of Perisher, because I was reading that there are some plans to potentially uh, reclassify some of the area for real estate and build more property here, you know, maybe expand uh, the car park. Um, do you think that might happen? 
Oh, look, I mean, since I've been, um, since I've been, you know, skiing in Australia, I think it's always been the, the dream that there's going to be the, the, the village in Perisher development's been, been happening. And I think the joke going around town has been happening next year for the past 20 years. And, <laughs> but I think, you know, there's this, we're in a unique situation here where we're operating inside an Australian national park. And so there's so many hurdles and, and red tape to go through and navigate before these projects can get off the ground even really small projects within the resorts that I, that I see. I'm not privy to how that all happens, but it does seem like um, there's a lot of stuff to, to go through before that happens. I mean, it would be lovely if we could get, um, you know, up, more upgraded infrastructure here. I think, um, you know, all the skiers and snowboarders in Australia would benefit from that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not holding my breath because, you know, past, the past dictates that that's, you know, might be holding my breath for a bit longer, but it would be really nice to see some, some upgrades, hopefully some, some lift upgrades in the future. Um, you know, there's a few that have been talked about that are sitting there. You know, maybe. Well, maybe I mean, a number of the, the lifts have been upgraded. I mean, they get upgraded on a regular basis uh, anyway. I think with with this discussion, it was more about perhaps uh, you know access because there is a lot of demand. You know, for people to come up here, and you know when it gets really busy, your car park can be uh, full here. I mean, I came up on the ski tube which uh, is a funicular railway which comes up from the valley floor. And to me, it seemed like the obvious way to come into resort. You know, why do all that driving up the hill? Well, I think that's, that's the benefit of the ski tube. You know, we've got that. You know, you can drive up to Perisher, but um, I'm not sure if you've driven up, but the roads are quite exposed. And we get, with our storms in Australia, they come in with a lot of wind, unlike overseas. They're, they're very blizzard-esque when they come in. So the roads can become incredibly dangerous, whereas... When you drive up to the ski tube, it's in the Threadbow Valley. It's below the Australian snow line for the most part. And so it actually is easier to drive up to the ski tube. And like you said, you, you jump on the train straight up the tunnel and it, and it drops you off right in the middle of Perisher. So uh, you do have that option, um, you know, and I think, you know, it, hopefully in the future we can expand on some of that infrastructure to get up here. Um, but, you know, only time will tell. Yeah, and you've also uh, reintroduced or introduced a bus service coming up from Jindabyne uh, as well. I mean, it started last year and it went pretty well and it's going this year as well. So that's got to be helpful for taking cars off the road. That looks amazing. I mean, that was a, uh, a New South Wales government initiative. One of the things most recently in, in the local area, we've had the New South Wales government come in and uh, they're looking to activate the area as a future growth area as part of what's called the SAP Special Activation Precinct Project. And one of the major things that came out of the community surveys was lack of public transport to the resorts and the surrounding area. And one of the first things they've actually brought in the state government is the bus service. And from what I've heard, um, I don't, don't quote me on it, but from <laughs> what I've heard on the on the grapevine um, around Jindabyne, it's been really, really, really popular and really successful and i have seen people on on the buses so yeah. that really will have a you know positive effect well, that that's good i hate to break it to you lucas so but i am quoting you on it because i'm record, recording you right now that's okay i heard it on the grapevine heard yeah it on the yeah okay i got you know one other question last night the snow cannons were on it's been pretty cold uh, down here certainly below zero overnight i would say and it struck me that for uh, a resort with, let's say, 65 kilometres apiece, there are a lot of snow cannons uh, out there. You actually looked it up for me <laughs> earlier. I think we said there's like 165 uh, of them. I mean, that's a key part of the Perisher strategy. Yeah, I think, look, you know, in Australia, I think like everywhere in the world, but probably more particularly down here in Australia, the snowfall can be fickle on those shoulder uh, parts of the season, so the start particularly, um, to get things going. And so... Um, we rely heavily on, the Australian resorts rely heavily on snowmaking infrastructure to extend the length of the season. So to get snow on the ground early in May when it's technical, 
usually quite cold. Um, we, we like to get big swirling high pressure systems over the state, um, which gives us the cold temperatures to make snow. And, um, and that snowmaking infrastructure is really, really important to getting that going. And like you said, we've got, I think, 165 automated guns here. And uh, I think they've got a, a stockpile of other manual ones they can get out and the snowmaking team can set up and, and get on the areas that have high traffic to replenish them for the next day. It definitely felt to me, I know you've had a kind of mixed start the season. There wasn't so much and you've had snow come in. You know, just now... Uh, I'm sure you'll be having more snow looking at uh, historical records. I see a lot of it comes in, you know, during August is your peak month. And you actually ski here through to October, don't you? Yeah, so the season generally goes from the June long weekend through to the October, or the October, September long weekend, wherever wherever that falls. So, um, you know, we get a good solid four months out of it. Um, and, you know, like you said, the peak season uh, and the best quality snow is generally in July and August. Um, but... We do have, because of, I think, maybe it's an Australian thing, but we do have an amazing spring season here. You know, the temperatures warm up, days get longer, and the snowpack's there. So, you know, there's things like uh, the peace skiing's good in the morning, and then if you're into the train parks, the train parks are all big and all the features are in, and it's slushy and soft, and so you can you can kind of go nuts in spring. So... Um, yeah, it's, and uh, you mentioned the, the the parks. I mean, you've got a you've got a great uh, snow park there just on the front. And I know that uh, I was interviewing. I think it was Kirsty Muir, one of the British uh, riders. You know, a lot of international teams come over here to train, don't they? In the uh, in the southern winter. Yeah, so we have a lot of internationals that come out to um, Front Valley Park, which is um, on the Front Valley, right in, in the front of uh, Perisher, and. Um, I think it's just uh, what I've heard from the internationals is that they love the fact that there's this amazing terrain park that's right there, super easy access, and there's a really quick lap. So there's a T-bar that services it uh, right along the side of the, of the terrain park so they can ride up, look at the features they want to hit, and they just get to lap it all day long. And, and we do have some of the best riders in the world you know, um, come out here and, and use the terrain park every year, which is really exciting. It's fun to watch when you're uh, sitting down the bottom or you're riding up the V8 and you can watch some of the best in the world throw themselves off the big jumps at the bottom. Yeah, I was keeping my eye out going up on the chairlift just now. Well, uh, I've got one more day uh, skiing here. That, and that is brilliant, Lucas. Thanks so much for sharing all that uh, info. Uh, and enjoy the rest of the season all the way through to October. Will do. So that was really interesting to talk with Lucas, especially about the access to the resort. I mentioned I took the ski tube up from Bullock's Flat uh, in the valley to Perisher. Now, this really does seem like the obvious option. It costs quite an amount to... Uh, uh, to take it was about um, 85 Australian dollars so maybe about 40 pounds or something but parking is free down there and you don't have to pay the national park entry fee because Perisher sits within the uh, Kosciuszko National Park boundary uh, and snow chains are compulsory so if you were driving you'd have to uh, rent or buy them as well. Uh, but the main reason is it just saves you the drive because uh, uh, Luke has mentioned there, if the weather turns bad, that road up to Perisher can get pretty clogged up with uh, traffic because uh, sadly, we uh, all know that simply having cha uh, snow chains doesn't mean you know uh, how to use them. Most non-day trippers stay in Jindabyne or, or Jindy, as it's known locally, the town down the valley. And that's about a 30 minute drive to Perisher, but you can stay in Perisher itself. 
Uh, now, I apologise for all the background noise in my interview with Lucas, but that's because we were uh, uh, recording in the marvellously named The Man from Snowy River Hotel, and the staff were getting the dining room ready for dinner. And I cannot criticise them because they were so good during my stay. Uh, seriously, it's very hard to imagine a better location to stay. The hotel was about 50 metres from the ski tube, or maybe less, and uh, maybe tw- 200 metres from the uh, nearest lift. Uh, Technically, it's not ski in, ski out, but I I did manage to ski back to the door, just taking my skis off once and then doing a bit of polling. Now, while I was there, I was lucky enough to speak with uh, Jen Mooney, the general manager of the hotel. Great. Well, I'm sitting here in the Man from Snowy River Hotel in Perisher with uh, Jen Mooney, who's the general manager. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Always well during ski season. It's just amazing being here. For me, it's a summer. I ski in summer. You know, I've been mm-hmm. to Europe and skied there, but I've never skied in Australia before. And currently we're sitting, looking out over the slopes in Perisher, and it's a beautiful blue sky day. And you just have... An amazing view from here. I mean, that's got to be your biggest selling point, right? Uh, look, absolutely. It's um, Parrish is a beautiful resort, and it is Australia's biggest resort, so we've got lots of terrain. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people in the world don't know that Australia actually has snow. They, they see us as beaches and, you know, sort of tropics and bikinis and beer drinking, and they don't realise that we actually have these beautiful mountains. I, I know, it's true. I mean, like, on Saturday... I was walking along a beach in, you know, coastal New South Wales. And by the, uh, the afternoon of the next day, I was skiing in the mountains. <laughs> and it does seem really weird. Yeah. Um, but it is uh, gorgeous here. And this hotel is iconic in Perisher itself. Because, uh, you know, the resort, I think, started in the very late 50s. And this hotel was basically the, the first hotel here, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think uh, this and the Sun Deck were both opened in 1960 in July. I think the cost of the hotel was something like £150,000. So uh, we're, we're in dollars now in Australia, here in the <laughs> colonies, but yeah. uh, we, were, we were with the, uh, the pounds back then. Well, yeah, I mean, that gives you an idea of how long ago it was, but you can see why they picked this location. And you just have this amazing vista. We're sitting in the, in the bar right now, next door in the dining room where I had dinner last night and breakfast this morning, watching the sun come up there. It's an absolutely huge window that looks out over mm-hmm. the mountains and that part of that 60s design is is pretty amazing yeah it's a bit I, I love the dining room um this as you say the 60s architecture is actually really quite beautiful and it's got a very warm appeal to it with the timber ceilings and so forth but um you know i i particularly love that we can just sit here and watch all the changing weather and changing skies um we get some spectacular sunsets as well straight out the front window, which is always a, a, a pleasure to watch. And the dining room itself, you've made a lot of effort to kind of help it keep its 60s feel. So some of the, you know, the, the, I think I read somewhere that the chairs are kind of a modelled on, a, on, a, on a, 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 a 60s design, is that right? Yes, so the chairs are a reproduction um, of, of a famous sort of 60s designer and um, they've got sort of the black faux... Oh, well, there wasn't even uh, leather. It was actually, I think, just known as vinyl back in the in the um, 60s. And then we've got some booth seating that's also reflective of that era as well. So just trying to keep it um, a little bit in tune with the with the beautiful architecture of the building. And and there's a kind of feel, a sense that it almost kind of 
matches some of the uh, you know resorts I might have seen in in Colorado, let's say in the states. There's a there's a kind of link between the two areas, right? Well, yes and no. Only in the sense that um, this area, of course, was it was um, big cattle country, and of course, the man from Snowy River himself was. Um, uh, a cattleman, and uh, well, he used to ride and you know herd cattle, and that's why he went to to uh, work where he worked on the stations back in the day. And so, um, yeah, we've got some Hereford hides around, and sort of to reflect that part of the the um, heritage of the area. And and to help out uh, those who kind of think, ah. Oh. Like the man from Snowy River, that that rings a bell. Do you want to <laughs> remind us what that is? Well, um, so it was it was a poem actually that was written by Banjo Patterson. Um, he was a very famous poet in Australia, and he wrote some beautiful poetry. And that was probably his most famous piece. But um, of course, Hollywood made a movie out of it <laughs> in the eighties. The movie came out, and of course, was fam- very famous uh, worldwide actually. And so everybody knows the story of the poem. From the movie, <laughs> well, and that's another reason why they why they know the place as well. Although locally, I think most people call it just the man, don't they? They do call it the man, indeed. And um, you'll notice around Jindabyne as well, which is the little ski town yeah. at the bottom of the hill, that there's a lot of places named. Um, after banjo Patterson poetry, so there's a pub downtown called the Banjo. Okay, okay, but like uh, for, you know, we're sitting in the bar right now. I mean, mm-hmm. this is quite a, a centre for outbreak ski. You quite commonly get a bunch of people going, "Oh, I'll meet you down the man." <laughs> Absolutely, every uh, afternoon, so we have this uh, live music for outbreak, and uh, everybody knows the man. And in fact, it's probably as sort of the biggest. Well, it's the biggest hotel in the valley. And it's the place most of the locals come to have a drink as well. Um, and you've, you know, since you've been running the hotel, I think for the last ten years, and yes. you've made a bunch of uh, changes. I noticed when it originally opened, there was a swimming pool out the uh, front, <laughs> uh, but now you've got a, a spa here, haven't you? Yes, we do. So, yeah, the, the hotel's had a couple of swimming pools in its history, apparently. Um, but yes, we have a beautiful day spa, which um, is pretty well fully booked all day every day it's very very busy but the mountain spa is gorgeous and you know everything you need in the ski resort massage after skiing nice you know hot soaks infrared sauna all the the good stuff that helps you out after a day on the mountain and even if it is booked out i noticed you've got some of those um great massage chairs just in the lounge there you know those ones where you sit in you yes. can adjust it so you can you know, massage yeah. all the different bits they, they actually seem to run all day as well those chairs so. <laughs> excellent well you know it's it's a beautiful uh, view it's a real sun trap in the afternoon isn't it, it? Is. sitting here yes. looking out over the skiing and you've got the night skiing as well because i think they did they do fireworks on when it's uh, night so skiing? tuesday and saturday nights night skiing and there's fireworks on those nights as well and um actually if you're actually on the mountain when the fireworks are on it's really quite a beautiful uh, experience actually it's cool fun. well i Lots am here fun. i am here on tuesday and we work this out so i'm definitely going to make sure that um you know at least at the very minimum i get a good view sitting here <laughs> checking them out that that's brilliant jen thanks very much and thanks so much for hosting me here it's a pleasure to have you and thanks for visiting 
Well, that was great to chat with Jen. Now, look, if you're thinking about a visit to Perisha, I really can't recommend the man highly enough. It's a three-star hotel, so don't expect super luxury in the rooms. But in addition to location, 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 you can add excellent service. Uh, The staff were from around the world, not just Australia, but Canada, Taiwan, even the UK. uh, And they were just so polite and helpful. And uh, what I was saying about the view, it is all true. I sat there in the morning watching the sun come up over the gum trees uh, and the slopes and just rolled off so many photos i'll put a a link in the show notes and you can see what i mean Uh, anyway after a day and a half skiing in perisha i took the ski tube back down to bullock's flat picked up my car and drove 20 minutes to threadbow australia's best ski resort and they are very proud of that and rightly so they've won that category in the world snow awards five years in a row now and you get a sense of their pride when they refer to that other resort across the road. Uh, so I started my day by meeting up with two of the Threadboat team, uh, Richard Carroll and Sophie Lester, to find out more about the resort. Great. So today I'm here in Threadbow. It's a pretty windy day uh, outside, but I'm looking forward to getting on the mountain. I'm sitting here with Richie Carroll, who's the brand and marketing uh, manager. Hi, Richie. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Glad to uh, have you here in the resort and, and chat to you about all things Threadbow. Cool. We've also got uh, Sophie Lester, who's PR content and social media manager. Hi, Sophie. You're right. Hi. Yeah, doing well today. Thank you. Richie, I wonder if I could start with you. And um, you know, find Threadbow really uh, interesting. You've got a lot going on here. You've just had schools uh, out here, and now you're straight into uni week. You kind of run a lot of uh, uh, you know activities and a lot of events here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a 16 week season here at Threadbow, and that's kind of the uh, the Australian standard. And we jam, I think, over 150 events across that 16 week period. Um, we have all types of guests that come into the resort and. Like I said, we just got through the big school holiday period and we had something going on every single day for families and kids to enjoy. And um, now all the uni kids are off break. So we kind of gear, depending on what is happening, especially the school holiday and uni break period, we gear events for that particular audience. And then, um, yeah, I mean, August is my favourite time. It's when we've got the most hero snow. It's when we're throwing our biggest events. And that's great because everyone can come down as well and enjoy it. So yeah. Keep keeping you uh, busy. I bet you haven't had a day off for a while. <laughs> no, no days off. But I mean, when you work for a place like Threadbow, every day feels like not a day at work. It just feels like another day in a, in a very magical place. So yeah. Cool. I like it. Um, I was interested too, I was reading some of your stuff about, you know, new things that you brought in this year. And I think I read that you've got like a, an ARVA, a, a transceiver testing area up on the top of the mountain. That's a, a new thing for you. Is that right? Yeah, we've got the beacon checking up at the um, top of the resort, um, which is just the barrier before you go out of bounds into um, the Australian main range. Um, which provides you backcountry access. And and backcountry has become more popular. See, you've actually got a separate backcountry pass that you can buy? Yeah, so um, we offer all guests the opportunity to purchase a backcountry pass, which just gets you up a certain lift, and then you can access the backcountry from there, which is great, so you don't have to trek all the way from the bottom, which is nice <laughs> on the legs, uh, especially if it's early in the morning. And then, yeah, it's really exciting. We've worked with North Face for seven years now to develop an actual backcountry product where... Our team uh, of very, very experienced guys who are also very passionate, know the area very well, take guests out on an incredible backcountry adventure for the day. And I mean, I've gone on a few myself and I remember every day on that tour, like it's, you know, very crystal crystal clear. Whereas in the resort, you know, you don't remember the days as much. So 
Um, it's a very special product, and I think it's a great opportunity for guests to experience what's out there. It's it's the Australian Main Range is one of the most beautiful places you'll ever see. So yeah, it's good. Certainly, I don't know if you know, but over in Europe, you know, during COVID, the lifts were all closed yeah. in ski resorts. Yeah. But people were still skiing. Yeah. And backcountry skiing, particularly uh, ski touring, you know, went through the roof. And uh, you know, every shop sold out ski touring uh, equipment. It was incredibly uh, popular. Uh, if Sophie, I wonder if I could uh, uh, turn to you. Yeah. You know, I'm really interested in the sustainability uh, side of things. And I noticed that uh, Threadbow has uh, like a, a gold accreditation for something called Earthcheck. Now, that's not something I've come across before, Earthcheck. I wonder if you could like tell me what it is and, and how Threadbow's achieved that. Certainly. So um, Earthcheck is the industry accreditation uh, in the tourism industry. Essentially, you can get, you know, bronze, silver and gold. Up the past seven years, Threadbow has achieved silver status. And then in the last two years, we've been the first Australian ski resort to get gold two years in a row. Uh, we have, you know, some of their team come down to the resort and work really closely with our dedicated uh, environment and sustainability team. We're obviously within a national park here. So, uh, you know, environment is a massive focus for us. Next week is actually our environment week where we have a full week every single day sort of dedicated to different areas um, that are focuses for us, you know, whether that's waste management or, you know, recycling. Uh, we also, you know, offset all of our emissions in the lift. So there's a heap going on behind the scenes every single day in the environment and sustainability space here in Threadbow. So you mentioned that in the next week is a you know environment week here, and I know that you know part of the uh, offsetting you do is you you let people coming to Threadbow that have the opportunity to uh, offset the, the cost of their travel here. Is that right? Yes. So we partner with Green Fleet to allow people to you know sort of donate a few dollars in order to offset their travel to the resort. Most people are driving from Sydney, so that's you know a couple of hours, and they plant a tree for everyone that offsets, and then. Next week, we'll actually be matching everyone's donations to Greenfleet to really support that initiative as well. We also do a lot of tree planting here in the resort. You know, everyone in the team gets involved. We do kids' tree planting days. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm guessing you're, you're, you're planting uh, snow gums then, are you? Uh, we are planting all different kinds of trees. Because, you know, one of the, the great things about skiing here, it's like unique in the world, is the environment that you're skiing through. Yeah. Just I mean, so different. I Very mean, iconic. Um, you will never forget a powder day in the snow gums. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, got my fingers crossed for that yes. for this afternoon. Yes. Got one more question for you, uh, Richie. You've got quite a lot of plans, uh, you know, coming up, not just, uh, you know, from the skiing side of things, but other activities. I read that there's a big uh, kind of a, a luge or mountain coaster that you're bringing in, hoping to open it for next year? Yeah, so we're, we're calling it the Threadbow Alpine Coaster. Um, and what we've found is that, you know, we want to invest in the all-round guest experience here in Threadbow. And so um, the Alpine Coaster will just open up a lot of doors for us, and it just provides another incredible activity and option for guests to enjoy, um, and that's year-round. So it's not just within our 16-week winter season. We're also an incredibly... Um, humming business down here in summer with mountain biking and hiking and all of the events and the activities that we do. So the Alpine Coaster will operate year-round, which is a really, really exciting project for us. It's one of the biggest developments that we've ever done here in the resort, and we're really excited to be able to offer it to not only guests, but also, I guess, the local area as well. Um, yeah, I can't wait to ride it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a big project, right? Nine million Australian dollars, I read. Nine million. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a couple of zip wires you're going to bring in as well? Yeah, so the zip lines are coming in the future. Yeah. Um, so we'll just really focus on getting the Alpine coaster up and running. Uh, the, the date so far is uh, the first day opening weekend 2024, so next year. So, um, you know, the team have a lot of work in front of them to get it ready, but we cannot wait to offer this brand new um, experience to guests next winter and then moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. And it's very similar to what's happening uh, in European resorts yeah. as well. You know, so many resorts now diversifying beyond just skiing because people are looking for much more than that from their holiday. Yes. You know, um, well, lots to look forward to. That is brilliant, uh, Richie and uh, Sophie. Thanks so much uh, for your time. And uh, I'm going to get out on the hill and, and test the resort myself now. Awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming and enjoy the skiing. So after chatting with Richie and Sophie, I got out on the hill. And it has to be said, that I didn't have the best weather for my Threadbow ski day as it was a very high wind day. Uh, and like in other resorts all over the world, that meant some lifts couldn't open. Uh, the disappointment there was I didn't get to ski the full area, which is 52 kilometres compared to the 65 kilometres uh, in Perisher. However, I did ski everything that was open and I liked it. Yeah, like Perisher, you just have to get away from the base to find empty peace, even in school holidays or uni week. Uh, and as it was, when I was up there, I have to say, higher up, it was bloody windy. I was properly chilled to the bone on the T-bars, but I also found the best snow of my three days of skiing. And for me, this makes a lot of difference. Threadbow has a much bigger vertical than in Perisher. Uh, Threadbow Resort itself is uh, at uh, th- 1,365 metres, and the, with the lift access points... Uh, similar to Perisher, at just over 2,000 metres. That means a 700 metre vertical drop. And that's twice what Perisher has to offer. So with uh, empty runs, it meant I could open up and get a, a bit of speed. And that's what I like when I'm peace skiing. After I came back down, I caught up with local legend Reggae Ellis. So uh, I've just been out skiing here in uh, Threadbow. And I'm, I'm warming up again uh, now. I'm chatting to Reggae uh, Ellis. You're the man for the snow reports uh, here in Threadbow. I think uh, you're putting them out for Mountain Watch and TV stations uh, as well. Yeah. And how long have you lived here? I've been every winter since 1989, so it's 34, 35, I suppose. I can't remember. And then I've been living here year-round since 2007. Cool. So probably not many people around who know Threadbow uh, better than you, I would guess. What is it that you think makes uh, Threadbow uh, special as a, as a ski resort? Uh, ski resort, I think a lot of it has to do with the village and a year-round living community. That, that's been ongoing, so that's the big difference. Where yeah. many other resorts in Australia, or most, they just close in October. There's right. just nothing there. Yeah, it's, it's busy here in summer as well. Quite a few people, I've been chatting to people on the list, tell me they come here in summer yeah. as well. Yeah, it's always had a, which is the nature of the job. It's beautiful here in summer, mainly because of the river and... They've always kept the Kosciuszko chair running, even pre-mountain biking, so you could always hike out to Mount Kosciuszko, so yeah. they've always had that. And they've had, you know, th- things like the golf course, tennis court, like yeah. stuff to do. It's one of the few, you know, a lot of people, especially with kids, it's an easy three or four days here because you can keep them entertained. Yeah, and the skiing itself, um, obviously today it's a little bit windy, uh, the whole area isn't open. I skied, uh, you know, quite a lot of it. Um, and I guess what I really liked is that the vertical drop is is pretty big here, and you know, so therefore we can get some quite long runs in. Yeah, I think the longest run, which is a village trail, which is a long blue run, I think it might be five and some five k's or something. But direct vertical, like something like the super trail, it's like two and a half k's long, top to bottom, you know. And then there's a, the off piece skiing here 
is really good. Those top bowls, uh, there's like three or four bowls. The drop in, really good tree skiing. Um, and like I said, you can get you know four to five hundred metres of off-piece vertical as well without being on a groomer. So that's good. And like day, I know you're saying it's windy. Threadbow faces southeast, so our prevailing winds are west northwest winds. And sometimes you look up there, and it's like a natural snow machine. We so much snow get, gets blown in. So like a blizzard two weeks ago, we had that. They, the official was 35, 40 centimetres of snow. We would have had 60 blown in okay. on top of that up the top. And that's that's a big thing for Threadbow is that, you know, they call it wind buffing, just beautiful light, that light talcum powder. It's not the best thing about skiing in Threadbow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I saw there are quite a lot of um, parks as well and kickers built all over the place, including one massive kicker. just at the top off, of the cruiser. Yeah, chair. what yeah. was that about? Well, that's a training facility for... You know, kids here who are training, Mountain um, right. Academy, and then for um, Snow Australia athletes, like my son's up there yep. training. So pretty well all resorts in Australia have a trade park. Like Parrish has got like four from a beginner, and that's the same one here. So, they, so yeah, the ones here, they've just built the one at Anton's T-Bar on the right. Two rails and two jumps, that was just open last week. And then they've got the Easy Rider T-Bar, which is, that was six weeks ago, and they have like, Three jumps and rail line. That like I worked on this event up there with Trevor the other day. This shred thing, like aimed at kids. There's just kids everywhere from the age of three to you know fifteen. So. Yeah, I love it. I love seeing I think, all those uh, you know young kids and uh, you know just uh, getting into it for the first time, getting really enthused about uh, everything yeah. like that as well. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, a lot of these things have changed. You know, like a lot of the parents now. You know, who are like 40 or 50, they've been hitting rails and stuff since they were 20. So for them, it's a second generation. So if they doesn't, if they don't have terrain parks at a resort, yeah. they won't go to it. And, and your son, what's he uh, training in? He's uh, big air and slope style right. skiing. Yeah. yeah. How old is he? Uh, 17. Australian junior team for the Australian team for the junior worlds in Cadrona next month. <coughs> right, okay, and he learned uh, here in Threadbow. I've born and bred Threadbow. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're kind of lucky here because and my daughter is she does free ride. She's got back from a trip to New Zealand with the North Face, a filming trip. So. Oh yeah, but both of them learned to ski here at a young age, and like from when they were three, when you go to ski school. But the programs are really good. They teach me how to ski. Yeah. You know, then they go into the shred crew and then they go into development squad and then when you get to a certain level it's Mountain Academy, which is that jump you were talking about that's yeah. built for Mountain Academy for Threadboat. So you know, and so those programs, they're seasonal programs and that's my kids went through all that. So that's brilliant, uh Reggae and best of luck to them and I'll look out for them when that event uh comes up ahead. So thanks very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your season. Yep, no worries, thank you. And yes, uh, before you ask, I did say that, right? Reggae is his first name. Maybe not his given name, but it's what he's been known as for the last 30 years. So that's your insight into Perisher and Threadbow. I spoke to other skiers uh, on pretty much every lift, and they were all slightly apologetic when they discovered I mainly ski in Europe. But I think they're underrating the Australian experience. Any day on the mountain is a good day, in my opinion. And I have to say that almost everyone I spoke to also seems to ski in either Japan or Canada. It's actually rather or relatively expensive to ski in Australia. Uh, day tickets are about twice the price of Europe at about £100 per day. Uh, but people are less likely to ski for a week, more likely to uh, just come down for a day or a weekend. And quite frankly, if I lived five hours away from a ski resort, I would be going way more often as well. 
So, to our Aussie uh, listeners uh, out there, and that's normally about 5% of our listenership, although this one maybe uh, might be more, uh, I want to say, what a great country you live in. I love the fact that I could be running on a beach uh, in 24 uh, degrees uh, Celsius and then less than 24 hours later skiing on a mountain in sub-zero temperatures. Uh, and to the 95% of our listeners not living in Australia, I'm not going to say go to Australia for the skiing. But if you happen to be there when the season is on, then go for it. Now, let's say goodbye to Australia and come back to Europe. Uh, regular listeners will have heard uh, Alex from 150 Days of Winter uh, in Courcheval and Richard Lett from the Lodge de Village in Meribel talking about the build-up to Tour de France's arrival in episode 180. So let's uh, hear from them again about how it all went. Hi, Ian. Alex from 150 Days of Winter with a little report from the finish line of stage 17 of the 2023 Tour de France. Second only to the English sport of test match cricket, watching the Tour de France involves a very relaxing day of drinking an alcoholic-induced insight into the sport worthy of an armchair Lance Armstrong. For Courcheval stage, standing around with a drink in your hand for about four hours, looking at the beautiful mountain scenery from the Michel Ziegler Altiport, followed by five frenetic minutes of cycling. Almost as amazing as the cycling is the caravan that precedes the races. Sponsors' vehicles pass out everything from hats to alcohol-free beer. Somewhere, a driver of a car-sized punnet of strawberries is trying to make his two-week journey around France sound less weird than it really does. But back to the race. After passing over the Col de la Lowe's, the highest point of the tour, the cyclists still had to deal with the brutal final 500 metres heading up Courcheval's iconic runway with a killer 18.6% incline. The look of pain on their faces said it all. Austria's Felix Gall beat England's Simon Yates by a healthy 30 seconds, with Denmark's Jonas Vingegaard cementing his overall victory with a seven-minute lead over Tadjo Pojakar. With only four more stages left, he is almost guaranteed the title, and by the time you hear that, he will have already celebrated on the streets of Paris. So after one bottle of champagne and a mild case of sunstroke, I must sign off and do something about all these polka dots I'm seeing. Ciao. So the Tour de France is just going through Meribel now. I mean, the uh, uh, we've just had the caravan go through with the um, all the various sponsors, and uh, and the atmosphere is absolutely electric. I mean, people have been coming here uh, for the last week and just pulling up and in their camper vans and tents by the side of the road and perching on quite pre precarious. Uh, drop-offs to uh, get their spot alongside of the road we're we're in Maribel village obviously at our, our restaurant here but um and it's uh, you know it's a, a really decent crowd and uh, and all the kids are are trying to get some free stuff out of the sponsors and uh, you know it's great really good and we're just now waiting for the uh, actual race to come through been great seeing all the people from you know we've had people from australia here and we've met people from all, obviously all around europe keen cyclists going up the um up the road doing the sort of last section the Meribel up to cold Lolos, and then down to courcheval tons of cyclists going through this morning 
um, and uh, just making the most of the crowds by the side of the road and everyone just cheering them on. And, uh, you know, there's been people here from um, the States, from Milwaukee, they right, stood right next to me here cheering like mad. And, um, yeah, it's just such a festive, lovely atmosphere and um, and it's you know it's one of those rare events that's actually free you know you just can pull up anywhere you like and and watch it um, each of the resorts as well Courcheval had a, uh, a fan zone down in La Pra with a big screen and because obviously there's a lake down there now and and, and public toilets like people were able to camp down there and you know use it as a bit of a campsite and then um, and then tourist uh, office of Courcheval put on plenty of entertainment down there every evening and um, and obviously those those parties will be continuing tonight and Maribel too have put a, a big screen in the centre of town they put a big screen in the centre of town so there's more, more uh, free stuff being thrown at me I've just been hit on the head by, by a packet of Haribo um, yeah so in Maribel there was a um, there was a big screen as well and there's some live music going on after the tour goes through so it's very much a party atmosphere everywhere um, and the main thing that we're looking out for is the uh, the finish that's on the out, actual Altipore runway, which will look absolutely splendid on 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 camera, I'm sure. And and for those that have gone over there to watch that, that'll be quite a spectacle. Well, thanks to uh, Alex and uh, Rich for those reports. It really was very impressive watching the tour come through Korsfeld, go over the cold air laws, and a very very tough uh, stage. Now, finally, I enjoy all feedback about the show. I always like to know what you think, ideas for features if you have them. So please contact me via social at Ski Podcast or email uh, theskipodcast at gmail.com. Now, I'd like to thank everyone who's given us a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help people find the podcast, so it's much appreciated. We're up to 102 reviews now. 84 of them are five-star, although six people were mean-spirited enough to give us a one-star review, which I find quite sad. I genuinely don't think this is a bad podcast, but each of their own, I guess. Anyway, um, thanks to user The Cribs for their review. Uh, they said, uh, a very interesting and fun podcast to listen to, which is always a highlight of my day when I see a new episode land. Uh, a great selection of guests from all different ski and snowboard backgrounds. It always makes me feel like I'm in the mountains when I listen. Um, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, also to um, Pip Big Dog Seymour. Got to love those Apple Podcast usernames. Who said, uh, awesome podcast, very, very topics and guests. Absolutely loved the last one with the Lift Fanatic. And that was actually Peter Landersman uh, in episode 182. An absolute must listen if you love all things snow sports. So uh, thanks for that. And uh, Eric Wilson contacted us via Facebook. He said, I just listened to your episode with uh, Peter. So that's episode 182 again. It was a fantastic show. Thanks, Eric. And Andrew Dollery uh, via email said, I just want to say great job on the podcast. I've listened religiously for the last couple of years. It's very well put together and keeps me going through these barren summer months. Well, thanks so much, Andrew. And I hope you've enjoyed this one coming out in uh, August. We'll have another in a couple of weeks' time. And we'll continue that every two weeks or so well all the way through the winter it's what we do all through the year and there are now 182 episodes to catch up with 122 of those were listened to in the last week so if you enjoyed this episode have a look through uh, our back catalogue you are bound to find something uh, up your street and of interest now you can follow me at skipedia and the podcast at the ski podcast but for now i'd like to thank Le Valet for sponsoring the show and thank my contributors today uh, lucas Jen, Richie, Sophie, Reggae, Alex and Rich. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.